Welcome, welcome everyone. We're back once again, episode number two, the Don't Crack Up podcast, a commuter's pod. Uh, that's right, it's your host, Patrick, Patrick Markey. Hello again, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be with you. I will tell you on the commuting front, these are, these are trying times. The month is now June, uh, road construction at least on my uh, highway or the highway I travel, I don't own it, obviously, uh, that uh, it's ramped up and it's a lot of delays, folks. A lot of uh, times where if you're not keeping your head together, you know, at risk of cracking up and maybe I'm just speaking about myself here, but uh, a lot of traffic delays, a lot of uh, alternate routes are being taken. So hang in there, uh, stay calm drive safely or, you know, vacuum safely or walk on the treadmill safely or um, ride the the train, the bus, whatever you're doing, hopping in a taxi cab. Glad you're with me. Um, I appreciate your time, your attention. Um, Thank you to all zero of the (laughs) listeners of the last one. No, I'm kidding. Um, But anyway, um, thanks. Once again, uh, off to a strong start first episode three hours boy i am sorry about that uh, or maybe i'm not you know i'm doing the best i can here and i had a lot to say and uh thank you to john john baugh who joined me last week he's here back again and uh, just to give you a reminder um each week the plan that's what we're doing check in um something that i'm listening to uh something i'm watching something that i'm reading or Am I reading? That's the question. The commuter's challenge. Can you read? Listening, you can do, right, if you're driving. But by the time you get home, turn on the tube, all those things. Can, do you have time to focus to read? That's the challenge. Uh, and check in with John as I talk about. And then your weekly installment, at least for the foreseeable future, until I run out of things to say probably, uh, Party Down, the Stars Network show, 2009-2010. Check base touch in again we're going to do it again folks and this week we're going to focus on henry pollard played by adam scott last week as you remember i gave sort of an overview of the show and and talked about each character to set the stage but i'm going to go in depth talk a lot about henry pollard so without further ado um, i want to remind you uh, number one if you want to get in touch if you want to communicate maybe someday people will listen to this and they'll feel moved, uh, motivated to uh, communicate, feel free to do that. You can email do not crack up podcast at gmail.com or don't crack up podcast at gmail.com. That's no apostrophe. As it turns out, you cannot use apostrophes in Gmail email addresses. Uh, also, Twitter, a commuters pod, a c o. M-M-U-T-E-R-S-P-O-D. And you got to add that, right? Uh, you can message there. Um, may expand. May have some additional social media type stuff. Who knows? Might have less. I don't know. We're doing it uh, one week at a time. So let's get started. Let's get with it. First of all, if you're listening on whatever app, it's definitely on the Podbean at this point, And you can try and get expanded, get on some other things. Feel free to do that old speed up button, or if you download it on your app on your phone, you know, you got a, a music app, 
feel free to speed up the the, the playback speed and uh, maybe you'll be able to listen to it in, in one uh, commute. Maybe you'll get through the whole thing. Maybe not, but please keep listening. I hope to uh, get you invested and, and hopefully uh, pass the time and ultimately not crack up. So let's get to it. Let's put a little music in right here. Okay, well, let's start off. Uh, what am I listening to? Well, as you'll recall, last week I told you about The Metamorphosis and Other Stories, audiobook, got it on Audible, uh, narrated by George Guidall, G-U-I-D-A-L-L. And I told you about how excellent um, his performance was, great translation, Gave it all the recommendations. And I also mentioned to you that that narrator had um, made audiobooks uh, of uh, performances, I guess you'd say, of The Trial, America, and The Castle, all three of Kafka's novels. Well, guess what? I took my own advice and powered through to The Castle. Uh, the Castle, this is a recorded books classic library. Edition. That's what it says. So if you go on Audible and you type in The Castle, that's the version that I'm, I'm listening to. Recorded books, classic library. And again, it's narrated by George Guidall. Guidall? G-U-I-D-A-L-L. Um, the Castle. This is probably the least talked about of, of Kafka's works. And um, of the three novels, um, it kind of has an interesting place. One is... It's not really finished, right? It just ends. And I think there were plans for um, uh, the story to continue. Of course, we know that Kafka passed away early, unfortunately. Um, and it, it, it sort of threads the line between the other two novels. And here's what I mean in that The Trial, his most famous novel, incredible story um, of Joseph K., uh, who wakes up one day and finds himself accused of a crime. And, and all that goes through that, uh, we see him struggle to ignore it, get rid of it, deal with it, um, and ultimately he's unable to do that. Spoiler for the trial, but I didn't tell you exactly what happened, so what does it mean? Well, listen to it, read it, find out for yourself. But the trial absolutely has the nightmarish element to it. Um, it's a very serious subject, and although it has those surrealist moments, it has those absurdist moments, it has somewhat humorous moments. There's there's such a scary element, and and when we reflect on ourselves and we think about losing freedom, and how serious that is. On the other hand, you have the story America, the story of Carl Rossman, who is uh, an immigrant to America. He has uh, been sent to America by his parents after, um, as we learned, basically uh, rape, abuse at the hands of. Uh, the maid, and the story begins with the the Stoker, which is also a short story in and of itself. And we 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 meet Carl, who's on a ship into heading into America. There's a description of the Statue of Liberty, which is not at all like the actual Statue of Liberty. And in fact, that's a theme throughout the work: is this um, description of America that never existed and 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 doesn't exist, and this 
the the scope and the size um, adds to that sense of I don't know dreamlike quality. Um, everything is huge, inconceivably large buildings and uh, spaces that go on forever. And and throughout the work, you have Carl, who almost has that sort of candied quality. Um, there is an innocence. Uh, there is a, a he's he's generally a good natured person, um, but unfortunately he is abused or taken advantage of uh, throughout the work, and he is a a gullible person. He is naive and uh, he's preyed upon, and that's sort of a theme throughout. And so, while it has, I think maybe the most laugh out loud moments of any Kafka work, at least in my opinion. Um, it also has this uh, the very tragic, sad um, under undercurrent throughout the whole work. Um, you realize this is this is a sad state of affairs for Carl, although he doesn't necessarily see that, and he takes it with um, you know a good attitude, the best he can. Um, it's a terrible thing. He's been he's been sent away, and then he's abandoned once again, and he's preyed upon. So although it is very funny, it also is tragic. So you have the nightmare of the trial. You have sort of this tragic humor of America. And then you have the castle, which gets to, again, bringing back what I'm listening to this week. And in the castle, you have Kay, who comes upon this village, the village which is uh, below the castle, the titular castle. And the castle, I guess it's sort of is in the middle of the two works in that it has very funny moments and it has maybe Kafka's best dialogue. Uh, and, but so in it, it but it has a nightmare element to it. The nightmare being um, stuck as an outsider, the nightmare being uh, crushed under bureaucracy. And you have Kay who arrives, he's been summoned as a land surveyor and he finds out that, in fact, he does his uh, services are not required as a land surveyor. But he doesn't accept that. And so compared to Joseph K., who has not chosen to be in this circumstance and can't get out of it, K. in the castle, as far as we know, he could, he could walk away. He could go back um, to uh, his, his, his native land. And, and so there's an immigration um, element to the story. He could leave. He could leave the village ultimately, but there's something in him that will not allow that to happen. He just he presses forward, and he keeps pushing forward. He's gonna get admittance to the castle, and so that is part of the humor, but it also is part of the nightmare element. Um, a modern example in in pop culture, I, I think of The Wire. Uh, think of The Wire season three, if you remember that the uh, character Cuddy who has uh, been released from prison and he's trying to you know, kind of find a new way of life by opening up a gym and he has to go to get permits and when he goes he doesn't make any headway. He doesn't know what's happening. He can't figure out what to do. He's not getting helped and ultimately he goes back to a councilman and um, through the help of a pastor and then he's connected with the right person and then all of a sudden the doors open and he gets the permits. And that's, you know, an, an element that is the castle in that Kay uh, can't get admittance. And so he thinks that 
knowing talking with the right person or the right connection is going to uh, get him in. So, however, <laughs> unlike in The Wire, uh, does he ever achieve that permit? Uh, it's a Kafka story, so I'm sure that you could safely assume without me spoiling it that uh, he's not going to have those type of uh, tangible positive results. Uh, what's great about the castle is, uh, and it's so true to life, Kay goes to one person and he talks with this person and he perceives the conversation in a certain way and he thinks he's got it figured out. Then he goes to another character who uh, <laughs> puts a different perspective on that conversation, which just, just took place, uh, and basically minimizing whatever the other person said and so on and so on. And all these um, conversations, which Kay thinks have either great significance or no significance, tend to have the opposite. Uh, whatever he thinks it is, it's the opposite. And it goes on. Um, the standout character, I think, is the landlady, who's uh, also his fiance's mother. All Anytime those the, the, those conversations are taking place through betw uh, between Kay and the landlady, um, that's the highlight of the book, in my opinion. Well, you know, obviously it's my opinion because I'm the one saying it, but nevertheless. Okay, uh, interesting point, as always, is that the juxtaposition between the trial and the castle you have in the trial joseph k he's a banker um he is somebody a minor somebody but he's a somebody uh he's an insider and by uh, reason of being accused of the crime he becomes the outsider in spite of his fight to remain the insider the castle's the opposite uh k the surveyor is an outsider who is trying to become an insider, forcing his way uh, into circles of influence uh, without regard to custom or custom according to the people who are there. And of course he is the surveyor and in, in that he, he is our guide, survey through the dynamics and the petty dynamics of the poor and their worship uh, in this village of power or even the slightest glimpse of power. Uh, in spite of it not being clear that there's any benefit to them to, to do so. But not having any other option and not knowing any other way. So brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The Castle, audiobook, check it out. George Goodall, as the narrator, can't be beat. <laughs> so The Castle, highly, highly recommended, particularly this narration. First of all, I recommend read it. Um, but again, don't crack up a commuter's podcast. Who has the time, right? Well, got that, that commuting time. It's a good good use um, of that time in my view. Again, obviously. So um, the castle is something I had read a decade ago. And it had been long enough that although I recalled, you know, the, the, the plot elements, it was a nice refresher, you know, it had been a long enough period that some of the, the points and the conversations were were new um, or, or seemed new. So highly, highly recommended. There you go. There it is for the week. The Castle, recorded books, classic library, narrated by George Goodall. And um, of course, there's a lot of psychological uh, metaphors and um, things that go with the castle. So this is just sort of a cursory discussion of it. But I'm just trying to entice you. To, to, to listen to it, okay? And this is, I don't know if it's the, the, the 
best entry point. I think I'm going to stand by what I said last week, which is that the metamorphosis is the um, best entry point. But I do think that there is a, for a Kafka story at least, there's a straightforward element to the castle. You can understand what's happening. But at the same time, it is, again, I think it's his best dialogue and it's extremely, extremely well written, um, even by Kafka standards, which are as high as they get, you know. So there we go. And next, uh, something else I'm listening to. As you recall, last week I talked about. Uh, an audiobook, and then I talked about a song. Last week I told you about Starry Night, S-T-A-R-R-Y, Night, by Iggy Pop, from the album Brick by Brick. You know, I realize I failed to mention to you that uh, the song itself, Brick by Brick, the titular song on that album is outstanding. One of my favorite Iggy Pop songs of all time. So that's not actually what I was listening to this week. This week I was listening to Knuckles the Dog by Killdozer. Killdozer, not the mass murderer, but Killdozer the band from Madison, Wisconsin from the what late 80s, early 90s. Uh, they were named after a TV movie, which is about, um, I think it's a bulldozer that gets infected by a alien spore or a meteor or something like that, and it kind of it comes to life with disastrous consequences for the construction crew. So, But uh, Knuckles the Dog by Killdozer. This song has that great hypnotic quality. Uh, you press play and you press repeat because it starts, it's got a great hook, and it keeps going. And when it stops, I want it to come back. So again, repeat. Uh, it tells the heartwarming story of a nearly angelic dog, um, altruistic, the greatest dog that, you know, this is really setting a great example for the year 2021 with all of the uh, violence in the world. If only Knuckles the dog was here to help us, maybe we would be in, in, in better shape. We'd, we'd stop all the senseless killings. Uh, Knuckles, uh, the dog, we learn, uh, was rescued from a death by a, a child with uh, special needs. And then we hear about the noble deeds of Knuckles, and we learn about the heroic and tragic death of Knuckles. And the thing about this song is the music, again, it has a hypnotic quality, but then the song tells this story so sometimes I'm listening to it I'm stuck on just the music sometimes I'm focusing on the story um, sometimes it's both to the great compliment of this song I played it for a non Killdozer fan and th and I then I pressed repeat and they said stop it's, it's getting stuck in my head and the next day same thing they they told me that they could not get Knuckles the dog out of their head a little backstory on Killdozer um, I was introduced to the band by um, many, many years ago, my sister's uh, boyfriend at the time, uh, we were at a, a used tape and CD store. If you were, know those, um, not too many around anymore, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but I have with me right now, you can hear that. That is the sound of the cassette tape of 
the album For Ladies Only by Killdozer. And this was my introduction to Killdozer. Uh, it is an album of covers. Uh, I would argue the greatest covers in the history of American rock. You have, for example, side two of the tape, One Tin Soldier, The Legend of Billy Jack, if you recall the movie Billy Jack, the karate fighting um, protector of uh, hippie kids. Um, and, and then you have, uh, and I think it's originally by the original cast, you have Take the Money and Run, the Steve Miller band song, American Pie, Don McLean. Um, if you haven't heard Killdozer's uh, cover of American Pie, I'm, I'm sorry that it's taken this long for you to hear it, but let's go ahead and change that. Uh, go to YouTube, I'm sure it's there, uh, and type in Killdozer, American Pie, and you'll get to hear one of the greatest covers in the history of rock and roll. Uh, and then it's got funk number 49 to close. That's just one side, okay? Uh, we also have uh, Hush. We've got a we've got um, Burning Love, an Elvis cover. Excellent, excellent album. And I'm going to tell you what, very hard to come by. Uh, go on Amazon and type in Killdozer for ladies only. And if you want to shell out, you know, 100 bucks, 50 bucks for a copy of the CD, I wouldn't blame you, but I'm not advocating either. It depends on your circumstances. If you can get a vinyl copy of For Ladies Only by Killdozer, then I salute you. Uh, getting back to Knuckles the Dog, it's from the 1994 album Uncompromising War on Art Under the Dictatorship of the Proletariat. Go for it. Check it out. Um, you can go on Amazon and buy it. Uh, buy, 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 right? Uh, Amazon, Amazon, buy, buy, buy. Uh, Amazon Music app. I don't know if it's on iTunes, but I suspect it would be. Uh, so there it is. That's what I was listening to this week. On repeat, Knuckles the Dog, in parentheses, who helps people buy Killdozer. Check it out. All right, let's switch topics. Let's put in a music piece right here. All right, something I was watching this week. Well, do you recall, were you listening last week? Last week we went big. We talked about America's greatest living actor, Lizzie Kaplan, and talked about In the Mouth of Madness, Empty Man, and how Save the Date and uh, Addicted to Her Love, all these parallels. And I went on this whole thing about the Lizzie Kaplan shared universe inspired by In the Mouth of Madness and The Empty Man. Um, I haven't received any comments about things I've missed. Uh, it doesn't surprise me since I'm sure no one actually listened to that other than me when I was editing it. But someday, if someone does listen to it, perhaps they'll let me know something I missed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something I missed. Are you ready for this? I told you about Stephen Root, the great actor who, in The Empty Man, is the cult leader, um, had the history with uh, Lizzie Kaplan in True Blood, he was the vampire that her character kidnapped to drain for uh, blood to get high on with uh, the Jason character. Um, and then I you know, connected that from Empty Man down to the, Save the Date as the keystone. But, you know, I didn't do a good job elaborating there because I also want to say, you know, Save the Date. You have um, the Jonathan character who's imploring uh, the Lizzie Kaplan character Sarah to change and to sort of stay with him and commit with him 
And then uh, you have the Jason character imploring uh, the Lizzie Kaplan character who's uh, addicted. Well, they both, I guess, are getting high on the vampire blood. And he's imploring her to change. In particular, I think he was advocating for her to not kidnap and torture vampires and all that. So we have that connection as well. And then here's something I missed. Season four of the show, Masters of Sex, starring Lizzie Kaplan as Virginia Johnson. Uh, Michael Sheen as um, Dr. Bill Masters. Well, in season four, Stephen Root has a a role. He's a therapist who's basically, along with, I think it's his wife, they're ripping off the Masters and Johnson technique. And you have uh, Masters and Johnson in disguise um, going into this clinic. So there we go again. So think about this. We have uh, Empty Man connected to True Blood with the Stephen Root connection, also connected to Masters of Sex with the Stephen Root connection, and then the connection of the uh, imploring the change aspect, True Blood to save the date, and then Masters of Sex, I talked about, you know, it has the the idea, like in season one and three, two men vying for Lizzie Kaplan's character in Masters of Sex, and that's a theme throughout the whole movie of uh, Save the Date. And then also, I mean, just the exact same thing happens in both. In Save the Date, you have the Sarah character going and, and leaving uh, an abortion clinic, not actually going through with the procedure. Well, guess what? The same exact thing happens in Master Sex. So as you see, I stand by the theory that Save the Date is the keystone. It's the center of the Lizzie Kaplan shared universe that all the other works somehow are there's an Easter egg or there's a connection either through something that happens in the movie or uh, other actors and all those things. And, you know, maybe it made more sense last week, but I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. Uh, getting to what I'm watching this week. Well, I watched uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, the movie. And guess what? There's a Lizzie Kaplan connection there. You ready for this? And that's because in season four of Masters of Sex, uh, there's a party of with like a book publisher and someone is talking about the book uh slaughterhouse five to lizzie kaplan's character uh, virginia johnson of course a real person fictionalized version of her well i'm talking not about the book but the movie uh, it's a 1972 movie stars michael Sachs as billy pilgrim directed by george ray hill uh this is a good movie and I almost want to say it's a surprisingly good movie because what a tall task it is to make a movie out of Slaughterhouse-Five. As you may know, and I hope you do, I hope you've read it, um, Kurt Vonnegut, a World War II veteran himself, wrote this book, Slaughterhouse-Five, and it, you know the, the introduction of the book talks about his experiences being at the bombing in Dresden, in Germany, as a prisoner of war in World War II, and that's an element of the story. Of course, he's not in the story. It's Billy Pilgrim. And Billy Pilgrim has become unstuck in time, or so the book starts. And what a challenge it would be, it is, that work, a masterwork, um, set in all these different times. Billy Pilgrim talking about these different moments in his life that happen, you know, in his marriage, that happen in the war, that happen on an alien planet in which he's uh, being held in a zoo. Uh, and yet the movie does a, a, a really good job of it. Um, I'm not going to say this is a 
masterpiece movie, but I think it's a very uh, competent and enjoyable uh, version. And that's it says a lot because, again, how do you make a movie out of something that is continuously jumping around? Um, and they do it. So the performance of Billy Pilgrim, I think it is. It's great. Michael Sachs. He has that innocence to him, which is the key to the Billy Pilgrim character. The Pilgrim, you know, the titular Pilgrim. I've used titular too many times already. Gosh, I need to stop that, huh? In, anyway, um, he does a good job of maintaining that childlike innocence. Uh, and even an adult, you know, I'm no longer a child. But he has that wanderer quality. He's not trying to hurt anybody. Um, but unfortunately he does and, and which speaks to the way the world works doesn't it we try hopefully we try not to hurt one another but sometimes through things we do or don't do that happens and but if we follow billy pilgrim's example and we try our best to you know not intentionally harm so really recommend slaughterhouse five the movie uh, i'm going to stop there for now uh, I don't have the big, huge uh, spiel like I had last time. I don't have the 45-minute uh, diatribe uh, on uh, the Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe. And I'm going to try and condense, make shorter um, these episodes because I'm sure three hours, it's a tall order for all of us, myself included. All right. Next. Music right here. Okay, reading, reading. Well, I did read a little this week, and I've told you about this stack, the stack of books that have began, or I've begun reading but have not finished. I picked up one of such books and read some of it, and that would be Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. And I will tell you I'm, uh, about a third into it, highly recommended. And here's the thing about this. Uh, I got the book because of the show. So this, unlike Slaughterhouse-Five, in which you know, I read the book first and seen the movie. And I do want to say one more thing about Slaughterhouse-Five. I don't know how you would experience it if you haven't read the book. I don't know how you would experience it if you saw the movie before the book. But I'm somebody who's read the book first and saw the movie and enjoyed it, so... Take that for what it's worth. Well, the opposite is happening here, which is I had seen the show, the HBO show, which came out last year. Um, it came out, uh, I think, starting in August. And I thought it was the best thing that was on last year. It was the best show in 2020, in my opinion. And it was the last show that I had to be at the TV at 9 o'clock on a Sunday. You know, it was, it was that good. I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to get spoilers or anything like that and so uh jonathan majors as atticus i thought had the best acting performance in 2000 that i saw in 2020 for whatever that's worth um so the the show was so great that i had to get the book and i got the book started reading it and then unfortunately put it up uh, not because it was bad but here's the the conundrum when you have seen something and you've enjoyed it uh, and then you pick up the book 
but the so far they are very similar in story there's some changes maybe in terms of gender and some details but so far about a third in the story is so similar that i don't know if that if it if it you know affected my motivation or just really it's not personal to lovecraft country as i told you last week just uh in the last decade of commuting reading has gone uh, by the wayside so trying to bring it back the spirit of 2021 let's read huh what a great billboard and slogan that would be uh, let's change the spirit of 2021 into something better so recommended a lovecraft country uh obviously has really tough uh truths about race and racism this country and and, and using the uh lens of uh, a lovecraft a lovecraftian world of monsters is is brilliant um cthulhu and all those cosmic horror stories um the the monster that is is here right now we don't even know it and if it awakens you know the world ends in spite of everything you were doing or that there was a different order to the world and all those things the cosmic horror putting things in perspective that um you know you think you've got it all under control but uh perspective there's something bigger and larger and so it it touches on all those themes of um you know creepy new england that's a big lovecraftian theme creepy new england villages as someone who has lived in new england uh i, I guess it has a special place for me because you know you have the village and the the for the forest the mountains the darkness and and you have that element off topic the witch if you've ever seen the witch the movie uh i think that really encompasses creepy new england you know um, which i love new england by the way but but it, but that element of just true darkness and 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 not knowing and the what's in the woods and all those things so and that's a movie that i recommend so lovecraft country it combines those elements uh and and think of this for a minute lovecraft country takes history and makes an opportunity uh, for uh, empowerment you have the old uh, Lovecraft stories uh, which are not diverse uh, racist language in them and flips it on its head in that the racism is exposed for the ugliness that it is and the magic and horror elements become an opportunity to undo or fight against the tragedies that have uh, befallen people of color in the United States. So, cannot recommend enough the show Lovecraft Country and the book, but admittedly, I'm only a third of the way through it. Uh, again, it, it brings up one of the issues of when you've seen something and it's, and it's a great work, uh, it can affect your motivation to read the story nah i'm making excuses but it is something that i made some progress in this last week and as such i want you to know hooray for me i read a few pages tell the whole world isn't that great um anyway so there we go all right next <laughs> going to get ready now um, in a minute I'm going to put on my conversation with John but I want to take this opportunity um, this is not an episode that is sponsored by 
um, anything or anyone. And if it were, even if it were, I still want to make this pitch to you. If you find yourself in a charitable mood, if you find yourself in a giving spirit, if you find yourself with any extra income, which I know is very difficult in these, these, these days, um, I'm going to advocate for the Louisville Legal Aid Society. Uh, this is a great uh, organization that provides uh, legal services for low-income individuals in need, for homeless individuals, for veterans, for domestic violence victims. I am not employed by the Legal Aid Society. They have not asked me to do this. Uh, they, they have not endorsed anything I've ever said on this program. So uh, having said that, if you feel that charitable spirit, it is a worthy, worthy cause. And you could go to L-A-S-L-O-U dot org. And there's a donate button you could click on. You could go to, I think all the other is yourlegalaid.org. And then there's a donate button, which then becomes yourlegalaid.org slash donate. Y-O-U-R-L-E-G-A-L-A-I-D. Forward slash, I don't know if it's forward slash, slash donate. D-O-N-A-T-E, in case you don't want to spell that. I'm not trying to patronize you. I'm really not. I just want to make sure you have the right information. So there it is. Um, it's an organization I believe in. It's a worthy cause. It's a helping cause. So if you have it in your heart, there it is. Thank you. All right, here we go. Without further ado, let's check in, the weekly check-in with John Ba. Here we go. Pen is there. Click, click, click. All right, and we're off. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is installment number two. Here we are. Uh, the Don't Crack Up, a commuter's podcast. Don't the, crack up. It's the check-in time. It's a check-in with our dear friend, uh, celebrity, with a lowercase c, but still celebrity. John Boz here with, with me, Patrick Markey. And that's right. If you remember from last week, I explained to you uh, the fame, the notoriety, Echoed throughout the horse racing community of this man uh, with the famous horse, Coach Ba, named after him. Uh, John, since we spoke last week, uh, do you have anything else to touch about uh, the, the question of the meaning of life? Have you been in deep contemplation? Do you <laughs> go on any long hikes, climb any mountains, and come to any realizations? I would just like to first say that I'm just very happy to have been invited back. Because, <laughs> let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Patrick Markey, right now, all right? This podcast right here is, is, is helping people, all right? This is, this is helping people. This is saving lives, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Just a small part of the entity that is Don't Crack Up. I was worried after my first performance, you know, my first interview segment, that maybe I wouldn't be invited back, so I'm glad I have been invited back. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm here with you today. I would rather be nowhere else. Well, there's a few places. There's probably, be, there's but, probably some places. Um, uh, the meaning of life. No, I'm no, afraid. No breakthroughs. As All boring right. as this is, no, I have not figured it out yet. Well, but I feel that when I do, I will come alert you and we shall immediately um, and forthwith bring the gold. Not the, I guess it's not a golden microphone. You're going to have to surrender the pen. The, the fuzzy microphone. <laughs> Everyone, the, the you can't do it. You can't put the pen down. The fuzzy microphone. The uh, yeah, that's right. If you, you all can't see it, but we can. We're in a room. There's a wooden table, conference table. There is a microphone with the fuzzy top, and uh, you know it's the symbol. It is the podcast. This this uh, 
desktop thing here. That's what makes it go. Uh, John, your golden voice, I'm sure, to everyone was the highlight of, uh, of the last podcast because um, everyone who's listening, please, if you're driving, don't go to sleep. One thing, one thing, one concern I have in, in editing the last one was not your part, but my parts is like, how many people are just gonna zone out to the, to the point that they, they lose focus? Well, don't, drive safely, America. Yes, don't crack up, number one, but number two, drive safely. Focus. After you have not cracked up. <laughs> drive While safely. you're not cracking up, also still pay attention. <clears throat> drive, drive safely. And you know, it, it, it speaks to that. Uh, right now, the month is, has turned June, and uh, it's really construction season. And to all the commuters, uh, your, your not cracking up-ness is being tested, because I will tell you, sir, that in the last week, I think like three of the four times driving home, there were uh, substantial delays causing, you know, going off the highway and all that kind of stuff. And then there's delays on the other side. So uh, that will cause one to crack up. It will. So, again, let's not do that. Do you have any tips for surviving uh, the concrete jungle? <laughs> the, well, the rage of uh, construction delays. <laughs> you know, um, the rage of construction rage. delays. Well, you know, honestly, and I have to admit this, I don't, you know, I don't commute to work. So I'm somewhat of an imposter on this show. Uh, I do not like construction delays at all, uh, but I don't have to deal with them for long stretches of time unless I'm on a um, car trip with the family, in which case you could bring either one of my two sons or my wife on here and they would tell you that, yes, I get rather, uh, I get, I, I do fall into something of what you would term a rage. I've actually just suggested turning around and foregoing our trip. I'm just that's it. We're just turning around. We're never gonna get there. So the takeaway is don't do that, right? Don't don't quit. Uh, try and press forward. Oh, you know, do quit. I don't, is that, I, you know, is I don't, that the takeaway? Do quit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's the message. I mean, I think maybe just going ahead and you know quitting while you're behind is a good thing. You know, just don't keep banging your head into that wall. Just go ahead and quit. Well, we've just touched on some really... People will tell you, people will tell you, you know, don't quit. No matter what, keep going. You know, I'm here to tell you, sometimes quitting is a good thing. Now, are we talking about road trips or are we talking about life in general? What's... You know, Patrick Markey, it's best, it's best, I think, to, to really, you know, analyze your place in any particular battle, mm -hmm. right? In any particular mm -hmm. encounter. And there are just certain encounters where you cannot win. So, so in that case, give it up. I tend to, yeah, you know, I think sometimes there's an old saying you may have heard. It's it's discretion is the better part of valor. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes uh, run away. Is it, <laughs> do you remember, did you ever see the movie Monty Python on the Holy Grail? I have. I have. Uh, you, we all remember the famous scene when they run away, run away. I thought it was it was com comedic genius. It was. Well, that brings up a couple points. Uh, you are known for giving out important uh, life tips. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not only in your your coaching exploits, yes. the titular coach Bob, but also uh, just in general. You, uh, one, one, I think one of the sage pieces of advice is, that we need to share with the world is uh, what is it? Don't let great get in the way of good. No, don't, That's <laughs> don't let great get in the way of good. There. That's no. That is right. That is uh, that was actually sort of imparted on me by. Um, my, my, my father-in-law, um, uh, a man of great, I won't, I, won't, I won't use his name, although he probably wouldn't mind, but if he listens, he'll know who I'm talking about. And he was a, a very, very successful businessman, um, CEO of many companies, and he, just, he used to say, look, man, 
you know, sometimes I just need to get B or B plus work out the door. You know, I, I, if I wait around for A plus work, we, nothing goes out. Like, it, you know, we just keep editing. And uh, if you knew some, there was one company in particular who I said, yeah, you guys did a lot of B plus work. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of maybe B minus work went out the door with that particular company. Don't let great get in the way of good. Yes. Don't let great be the enemy of good. Don't let great be the enemy. That's mm, right. Okay. In other words, look, I mean, let's say you make widgets. Okay. Oh, the famous the widgets. Famous, let's yeah. just say you make widgets. All right. Is it better for you to get a hundred widgets out the door that are B or B plus work or five that are A plus, you know, Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel type stuff? You know, you can't, you can't, you can't live like that, right? You can't, I mean, you got to move product. And some people, perfectionists, which I'm not one, you know, they, they sometimes tend to paralysis by analysis, right? These keep analyzing, re-editing, re-editing. Just move the damn thing. Get it out the door. Conversely, on the other hand, the C work. I we did have a we did have someone who worked for me once that we nicknamed C plus, and C plus had to go. Can't <laughs> C plus do that. Work so you're, you're saying it has to stay in the B range then? Yeah, it cannot be below B. But uh, it can't be a B minus. B minus really something. What would you say to critics of your life philosophy that say, yeah, but Michelangelo, uh, Michelangelo, that work no, lives Mi on. Mi Mikkel. He liked to be called Mikkel. Oh. When you, you all were hanging out back in the day. It's Michael, Back in the day. Uh, what, what would you say that that work endures over the centuries, whereas your B work uh, disappears to, like, there's so many grains of sand on the beach? Well. <laughs> what would you say to that, huh? I mean, I would say. I haven't say, thought that far. No, I have. I would say that most of us are not the genius of Mikkel, mm. and therefore we are really, truly sort of B people at best. And so if we can just get stuff out the door that may or may not disappear. We're not all going to, you know, was the Mona Lisa A and A? I mean, I don't know, you know? I, I mean, would say yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I kind of look at <laughs> now that. Now we're questioning the value of the Mona Lisa. I mean, no. How I mean, many people have I traveled, like, around the world just to see it in person? I know, and how many people are disappointed terribly when they see it? And they go, that's it? That's what I came for? Wow. That yeah. took a turn. It's pretty boring. <laughs> that took a it's turn. It's pretty boring. Let's all face it. Mm. It's pretty boring. Unexpected turns. Now we are criticizing I mean, Leonardo Mona da Vinci. Lisa, I mean, come on. <laughs> what I mean, are we it's doing? Not here? that great, man. I'm just. Oh, not, please, not great. please. It's just not. I mean, I've seen. Some, are you suggesting you could make anything near that quality? I have seen some, some a work that endures seen, and has been studied. I will go to Garden years. Ridge and I found some dime store prints for oh, twenty dollars. Wow. I find more interesting. You know, for all the listeners out there, we have now officially entered into the. The marketplace of, of hot takeness because <laughs> we've John has uh, Dude, art downplayed downplayed uh, uh, Da Vinci right um, praised uh, B work all the, so we we have officially done it we we've we've entered the hot take beauty zone. beauty is in the eye of the beholder and I don't think Mona Lisa is very interesting however I do think some of that stuff at Garden Ridge can be very interesting. Garden Ridge. Does everyone know what? I don't even think it's called that anymore. It's called like the home store or something. You know where you go store. and it's like just oh, like, the pre-made stuff. Yeah, all that? The pre oh, come on. No, it's great. Hey, that is not endorsed by me, by the way. Uh, <laughs> no, so I anyway, know. but that's, th that's what we're doing here. That's it. We have we have contrasting life philosophies. Doesn't that make? I also think just trending on for our listeners last week. Oftentimes, I think a hot dog at a gas station is better than a steak at Jeff Ruby's. And you are alone in that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are alone. I in that. don't know that I am. I don't know that I am. Listeners, 
please. <laughs> you are alone. Contact in that. us. We would like to put it up on the put it up on the poll. Yes, I'd the like imaginary know, poll. It's up there. Does anyone agree with me that oftentimes, you know, a hot dog at the turn is better than a steak <laughs> after the round? I'm just telling you. So the, the, the takes are so scorching hot that I think that this building is caught on fire. <laughs> I got a, a hot dog ga- at a gas station better than a ruby steak. Sometimes, not all the time. Uh, the sometimes. garden store artwork better than the Mona Lisa. Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. 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 This is Woo! this is all, all right. about this is all about individual perception and appreciation. Sure. I'm not gonna let somebody tell me the Mona Lisa is good. I don't care what degrees they have in art and art history. I don't like it. John Bob doesn't like it. Okay. He, he has spoken. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. And how, he has how can you disagree with me that a a delicious hot dog, a juicy hot dog from a gas station? Because I don't like hot dogs. The, oh well. With that. That does sort of throw a wrench. Does that does that cause a problem? Because there's no universe that I live like, in. Who doesn't like hot dogs? Who who would who would ever 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 consider a hot dog better than a Jay Ferrui steak? Come on, and for because all our for all our vegetarian and, and vegan listeners, sorry. This uh, obviously you're saying you reject both of them, and uh, you know we respect that too. Yeah, they, well, that's to, again it speaks to the nature of being subjective, right? Because they're all about it, and you're not. Subjectivity. Yeah, no, but I think that Patrick Martin, in yeah. my mind it's like the most. That's pretty vile. Uh, a gas station hot dog versus I, a ruby just, steak. Ooh. Listen, let me tell you. Man. Let me tell you. There's a trick to it, all right? If you pull up at just the right time, not when they're cold and just been put on the rollers and not before they get all that wrinkly, those prune finger looks, you know, but when they're perfectly ripe. There's a time, there's about an hour, when they're plump, juicy. You pull out one of those buns, those, they're, you know, they're so, they're so laden with preservatives that they're soft even though they've been sitting in there for about a year. You slather some mustard on there and some nice... Relish, and if some gas stations even have like onions and cheese, yeah, I mean that's heaven. Let me tell you something. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disclose. I also a, think slim gyms are a good. personal bias, which is that once upon a time I worked uh, on a riverboat in which uh, a certain season of the year the hot dogs would be sold, and we had one of those machines, and you know we rolled on and on and on and on, and uh, I from that point, I don't know that I really loved them before that. I don't think I did, but from that point forward. Um, Right now you're describing them, and I, and maybe this 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 memories come up, but ugh, no, no thanks. Do you ever watch? Speaking of mm-hmm. Patrick Markey, since uh-huh. it is upon us, do you ever watch on the Fourth of July the Nathan's hot dog eating contest? One of my oh, favorite the, days of the year. One of the great signs of the apocalypse. One of the no, 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 <laughs> no. It's the, the most the wonderful true, thing in the, the world. True low points of uh, of, of, of Joey, civil, human civilization. Joey Chestnut, I will have you know, ate seventy-eight hot dogs. In like 15 minutes last How year. How disgusting He's is that? going for another record, another record this year. He's, he's you know, Eater X. You know, he has survived challenges point. from Super Toad, Eater X, um, Kobayashi. There was another, there's there's another dude. Which, for everyone who actually, li- who listened to the whole episode, um, you know that each week talk about the show Party Down. Uh, of course, in season two, episode uh, seven, which is the... Party Down Company Picnic. There's a hot dog eating contest. Uh, that's just an aside to plug watching the, or listening to the rest of the, the show. But here's the thing. I think it is absolutely vile and disgusting. I can't actually watch and it. And the worst. <laughs> one of the worst. I watched the build up and the guy who The lowest it. points of our society, of course, would be 
the well, hot dog you, eating contest. You, a man voluntarily eating 70 eggs. Have you ever watched it? Seriously, have you ever watched it? They no. dip them in water so that the bread so they can get them down ah, faster. Gross. I actually, I watch all the, I've, I've always wanted to go to Coney Island and see it. But I watch all of the buildup because the guy who owns the professional eaters, like, there's a tour. Yeah. He does all the announcements. He's hilarious. I've played it for you, right? It's hilarious. And then I can't actually watch that. I turn it off for 15 minutes and I come back to see who won because I can't actually watch them do it. It's so disgusting. But apparently, <laughs> contrary to what we just heard three minutes ago. No, I yeah. said I said I love it. I uh-huh, love everything about uh-huh. it. I can't watch the actual watch the actual. Uh-huh. You love it, but you can't watch it. Well, okay. an hour of its buildup. It's like the Kentucky Derby. Eight hours of buildup for two minutes of race. It's kind of the same thing. Um, but do you know? I didn't know this. They have a professional eaters tour. And they go around, they go to Vegas a lot, and they go around the country, and they have these contests. So it's not just, it's the same guys, but like one's, so he's the champion of hot dogs, Joey Chestnut, right? But like, then there's like an asparagus eating champion, asparagus. Then there's corn on the cob. Which I like asparagus and corn on the cob, but, but I'm not going to eat 78 pounds pieces. And pounds no, of, I could not, I could not. Uh, then they have squash, they have popcorn, they have chicken nuggets. I mean, as you as you fancy yourself uh, an, a doctor, <laughs> an amateur <laughs> doctor, can you? I, I just sitting here thinking like the effect it would have on you. I think it's not helpful. I can't imagine there's any universe in which it's good for you, but and I don't think they're allowed to go throw it up either. I think really, to, I don't think so. Ooh, they hey. ha- I know they have to keep it to, in order to claim the belt. After they're done, you have to keep. You cannot throw it for like ten minutes afterwards. So it's like if you're, that's a rule. Oh yeah. What, what what difference would it make if they threw no, it afterwards? No, 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 that's not good. You, you got to keep it down. That's part of it. take the pain in your stomach. You just made it worse than it already was. <laughs> like I, I did, I was disgusted by it before, but now I'm I'm even more disgusted. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I to me, something about the asparagus would leave disgusted. Like the worse than the hot dogs. Get out of here. What are you talking oh, about? No, Get out of here. All right. So listen, let's completely change uh, gears because we've just grossed everyone out. People are driving home right now. People are driving home right now. Dear listener, please please contact us at the show and and just put, I agree with John Bob, the the hot dog eating contest is one of the most fantastic, most American, I submit to you, most American things. And not in a good way. Not in a good way. I like kitschy stuff. And not in a good way. Uh, By the way, Dear listener, I don't think you can do that because the man just said, I don't watch it. So how is it great? No, no, no. Come no, on. No, no, wait, wait. Come Listen, on. I want to be Come clear on. about this. I sit there and I watch an hour of buildup. But you I, don't watch the actual event. I, I, it's disgusting. Thank but, you. But then I turn it on right at 15 minutes to see who won. And I do I do catch some of the replays. Uh-huh. It's just really gross to watch. Well, the, the, you know the, the women do it too. The psychological complexities of John Ba are being uh, <laughs> revealed to the world. Well... Let's get far, far away from that topic and never explore it again. No. Uh, okay, I got something for you. Uh, let's say you're, 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 you're a little sickened at this point. You know, our listeners are a little queasy. They're thinking listeners. about They're not. hundreds of disgusting hot dogs being consumed. Uh, okay. Only two months away, dear listener. We need to, they need to laugh. No, okay, so here we go. Uh, do you have a go-to? Let's say right now, you know, you need something to watch to laugh. Do you have a go-to? Something you would put on uh, a movie, uh, a clip, I don't know, something. What's, what's a go-to for I've you? been watching Ted Lasso. Like oh, really? Like the rest of the country. I, and I love that guy, Jason Sudeikis or whatever. Yeah, stop I, with the pen, please. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Clickety-click. I, I, uh, 
I love Jason's Sudeikis. I'm going to say something that's not popular. I don't think Ted Lasso's as funny as everybody else does. Have you watched it? I have not watched it, no. You know what I'm talking about, I right? do know what you're talking about. The yeah. Tottenham Spurs coach. Uh-huh. He's uh-huh. an old football coach. I thought yeah. it would be hilarious. And I've watched about two or three episodes, and I'm just not. I'm like, mm. So that is not a go-to to laugh. Is I mean, that's my best, best I got right now. <laughs> you know what I do, you know what I do uh, friends? Uh, I t- said last week, I don't know, have you ever seen the show Burning Love? It was a website. It was a web series, uh, Ken Marino. I have not. Really excellent. Burning uh, you, Love. Yeah, you can rent it. Uh, you can, each season you can rent like a movie, and it's a, it's a takeoff of The Bachelor, Bachelorette. That's good. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I had, well, I do have a phone, of course, but it's in a different room. Go to the YouTube Mm-hmm. The YouTube. I've heard of it. You put the little search right in there mm-hmm. and, and type The Onion News. If you need to laugh right now. And all, and I don't, I don't think they make those videos anymore, but they're from 12 years ago to 8 years ago and all the little stories. The oh, news, man. Yeah. Click those stories. Now, they, at one point, there was an actual show, I think, on IFC, Independent Film Channel, yeah, that, the, right. the Onion News Network. But these are like YouTube uh, video clips or whatever, and they had a whole... Um, daytime show a fake show those are hilarious they remain hilarious and completely rewatchable you can see them over and over again and i think even every six months i forget about them pull them back up yeah. bam you know so that's it. It, it right now if you need a quick fix because you're you're kind of trying you're reeling from the things that you <laughs> the scorching hot takes you've heard you're reeling from the discussion of uh uh hot dog eating and all these things man you just need to you need to change gears and laugh go to youtube the onion news click that in and then all the videos come up you know what else you could do what's that our dear listeners what's that as you did as you experienced yesterday patrick monkey yeah they could go to the youtube and look up just look up starsky and hutch do it do it just you like that clip i, I love that. actually i think i saw that movie in the theater finkel uh, howard finkel Snoop dogs in it because all I remember from the movie was not very good. But that part of it when he does do it, do it. That gets you, huh? That one does. <laughs> you don't seem so impressed. No, that one does it's not. Been it doesn't, it's hilarious. It doesn't uh, reach me in the oh, same way. But, all right, uh, pertinent to what's happening right now with the newest Conjuring movies coming out, uh, I am a big horror fan. I don't, not necessarily a big Conjuring fan, but uh, John, do you have a, a favorite horror movie? Mm. I think my favorite horror movie, um, well, there's two. Okay, so my favorite horror movie, I think pure horror would be Halloween. Part one? Part one. I've always liked Halloween part one. I don't know why. I was, when I was a kid, I, I, don't, I just thought it was very interesting. Jamie Lee Curtis was good in it. I uh, loved the music. I just always have liked it. Um, but I kind of liked that those Eli Roth movies. Do you remember Hostel? Oh man! So you're a gore guy, huh? Right. I don't know if those really count as horror, though. They're I don't know what else you'd call them, but I know what, you know what they're called. Uh, they're called torture porn. Yeah. And I don't, and I'm not really into that. Like I don't like, you know, that's not me really. But I, for some reason, Cabin Fever. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Uh, the, the Saw movies were interesting. Oh man, so. I'm, I'm a, I'm a. I'm a big horror fan. I'm a very different horror fan, though. The ones that you're saying are not appealing Some to me at all. Some of them were pretty nasty. Like, The Hills Have Eyes is really good. Well, that was terrible. I, uh, the original Hills Have Eyes, have you seen that? Like, that no. was the cult movie. Um, uh-huh. And that was disturbing, but in a different way. And then the remake. Yeah. Oh, my God. Remember the part where there's, like, the guy's head is mutated and the dog's eating it? That, to me, is a real low point in horror. 
I think that that yeah that style of movie actually kind of like so. But you're saying that's what you gone. like though. I liked Hostel a lot. I don't. I really don't know why I liked it, but I did. And I, again, I don't. Um, I'm not a big horror fan. I don't really like um, horror movies. And if it's supernatural horror, forget about it. I'm not watching. I love it. Yeah. Like what was what was that series of movies that was so scary? It was about it was that called like supernatural? No, or you mean paranormal activity? Yeah, yeah. I'm not watching that. No way. I wouldn't. Say oh, it bothered you really? I didn't. No, no, no. Not, there's not much. I won't watch it. There. I will not watch but, it. You know what's really? If you're a horror fan, uh, there's a Shutter, which you can, it's an Amazon channel, or that's how I see it. Uh, man, that's really good, and and it's got uh, new movies all the time, and they're very thoughtful. What's great about horror right now is there's really thoughtful horror. That okay? that is good. When it's got like actually a good plot. It's got a plot. It's got great acting. It's not acting. a slasher film. It's not only, and it's not there's anything inherently wrong with a slasher film, but uh, to me, what you're describing, that's a low point in horror. It was just like, can you make the the, the grisliest thing? It doesn't really have a, a great plot, but it's Hostiles. just the most. Did you have you watched Hostel? Um, not all of it. I, I've, it, it I've seen. Have you ever seen the original Saw with Carrie yeah, Elwes? Of course, I've seen it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. Was, it, was that the one with the guy where they woke up and the guy's yeah, dead? With right. The guy? exactly. I thought that was pretty interesting. The first one, no, I never it was watched okay, too, too and I think I saw two, and then maybe part, and then it's just please why? Are, and now there's a brand new one I haven't seen, so I can't say if it's good or not. Yeah. But 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 a thoughtful horror movie, which again right now there's a lot of it, um, especially on Shutter. There's movies like The Cleansing Hour, which was really really good, um, and some of the, the uh, Haunt is another good one that was on there. But I, I really, uh, obviously we're not sponsored by Shutter, but I highly recommend it because. It's people, we don't have any it's, sponsors it's yet. People, it's made by people yeah. that are clearly horror fans. And they actually do a good job of, you know, some of the tropes or some of the things like, oh, why would you ever do that? A lot of these movies on Shudder, it's made by people who are, they're making, I guess, intelligent horror. They're, they're acknowledging, you know, oh, why don't you just leave the house or whatever. And you leave the house. Right, right leave. And something still bad still happens. That's wow. that's a thing now, which I think that is, is great. Um the oh man I can't remember all the names of them but I, I really recommend uh, that if you, some good horror movies on Shutter and uh, I like that you know it, it's it's the intelligence and uh, it combined with a scary element uh, and yes I love a good supernatural element to it as well mm-hmm. all of it combined I don't like anything that I can't I couldn't fight <laughs> like. You know, like a Jaws doesn't scare me. Like well, that's a big. Water. I mean, that's a big element of it, right? Is that no matter, and I and I think in some of these these newer movies, you see that as well. It's like no matter what you do, you're, you're toast. You you're doomed. You know, and that's part of it. And how do you? I grew up in the how do you deal Freddy Krueger era, right? You couldn't beat Freddy. You went to sleep, you were dead. I think the I, and I, you know what? It's funny you say that because I think the first horror movie I ever saw in the theater, one of them. Unless, if you count, like, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, I saw that in the theater, um, but that's more, you know, psychological. Yeah. Um, was Freddy's Dead. And that might have been, like, my eighth birthday. Very, very young. And um, have you seen Freddy's Dead? I saw one, two, and three. See, I'm a little older than you. And then I kind of stopped watching. But I've, I mean, I've seen those. But I'm saying in the theater. And I saw Freddy's Dead in the theater, which is, like, the least Freddy of all Freddy movies. Yeah, they got, and they got, yeah. Where was Freddy's Dead? Was that... Freddy's Dead takes place um, like you're in a dream world and it crosses into reality and then you're in another dream world. It's got a it's got a 
It's got a spoilers for Freddy's Dead from a movie from no like 19, yeah, <laughs> but it's got it, it has a a Super Mario death in it. Like Freddy transports somebody into a video game, and uh, the death is like uh, a Mario Brothers type of death. It, I think that's where the term you've heard that term jump the shark. Yeah, I think it jumped the that shark was, at that point. That was a lot because Freddy. Have you ever seen that Freddy's, episode where Freddy's the Fonz jumped the shark? Oh, on Happy Days? Yeah. No, I it? don't think so. I don't think I have. I, I actually have seen the clip, and it is bad. Like, you knew Happy Days was ending when the Fonz, he was um, water skiing at a, <laughs> at a at a like water park, you know, like yeah. SeaWorld or whatever. And he's in his black jacket, and he jumps over a shark. <laughs> and you're like, okay, this show's over. But yeah, like, uh, I, anyway, so... Uh, I will watch this Conjuring movie. I'll let you know if it if it's any good. I, I don't like just jump scare, pop horror stuff, you know. Um, but uh, it's there's got to be an intelligence to it. I like a good supernatural. I, I like a good mythology element to it, right? Sure. There's some kind of sinister force, or maybe it's not sinister. Or maybe it's the the people are corrupting a force. They're dealing with something beyond their control, you know, kind of the H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, yeah, she, um, do you ever see um, From Beyond? Do you ever see that one? That's an yeah. 80s horror movie Mm-mm. based on a Lovecraft story. But that's kind of that, you know, be careful. You think you're going to harness the power, which brings up um, uh, a horror movie that was really, really good. Uh, um, and it's about these par- these grandparents who have lost their grandchild. And so they've got this plot to bring the gran- grandchild back using um, demonic forces. Does it sound like a good decision? Well, no, it doesn't. Come and see. Yeah, anything for Jackson is the name. Um, it it that's a really good one. I'm I'm on Shutter right now. I'm going to tell you just some ones that I think were great. Of course, it's got the the Changeling on there, which was the old uh, George C. Scott movie. Can't go wrong with that. But the Cleansing Hour, Haunt. I like the movie Scare Me, which has uh, uh, Arya Cash or I Cash Arya Cash from. The, from uh, uh, You're the Worst and uh, what season two of The Boys that's very good uh, Host was a good one I don't know if you saw that it was made during the pandemic uh, and so it's, it's using Zoom that was really good uh, I think I already said Haunt but I really recommend that Mandy that's a, actually a good Nicolas Cage recent movie um, Cleansing Hour I said uh, Tales of Halloween is on there. That's a good one. The Mortuary co- uh, Collection man, is very good. You've really been watching some movies. Oh man, I'm telling you, Shudder. Yeah, and and I've really got into. It's almost like watching, uh, you know, the. Um, it's almost like reading a book of short stories, but they have a lot of these uh, movies made with like multiple tales, you know, uh, and uh, what's an anthology? I believe it's called. You know, like the old Creep Show and all that. Creep Show. And yeah. uh, Shudder has them. So again. They're, they're not paying us anything, but I just want to share with you what's good. They so, could pay us something if they wanted to call us up. <laughs> you won't turn it down. Talk to us. Uh, but also, John, unbeknownst to you, I, I put a plug in last week for uh, a charity donation to uh, the Legal Aid Society of Louisville. Oh, yeah. Great, great, very worthwhile um, organization. We don't work for them. We're not paid by them. They don't know we're doing this. But uh, if you are feeling charitable... Hey, that's a, that's a really important service. You have one final thing you want to say before we end for this week, John. What was it? Oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> besides, I hope I'm invited back, unless you start getting emails from our dear listeners. Oh, saying, man. Please get rid of this it, bog guy. 
Scorching hot takes all over the place. Um, yeah, I would just say, look, for those of you out there who may have had a recent A1C test and it didn't go so hot, which means that you are creeping closer to type 2 diabetes, and if you eat a lot of ketchup, I will have you know that ketchup is quite the sugar bomb. Recently, Heinz has come out with a sugar-free ketchup, which I thought was going to be absolutely atrocious. It is delicious. Because all they did is they took all the sugar out and added more salt, and I like salt. So... For those of you out there looking to maybe cut down on a little bit of your uh, sugar intake, which is always a good thing, Heinz is sugar-free ketchup. And they uh, pay me nothing and to And by say the this. way, we're but not... But it's just, it's legitimately good. And we're not doctors, so don't rely on any medical advice from us. And pay attention when you're driving, please. Even though the rest of the show might have bored you to tears when it's just me talking, stay awake, don't fall asleep. Don't crack up. There it is. All right, hey, enjoy the rest of the show. And we're going to talk to John again Next week, can he can the takes be even hotter they, than this week? I don't think so because this building's on fire right now with all the things we've heard. All right. I mean, I took it easy. Okay, thank you, John. It is now that time of the week. Uh, let's talk about Party Down. Hooray. Let's have some music right here. Let's hear it. Well, here we are, uh, the second installment of our discussion on the great program, or program, if you prefer, Party Down. This was the Stars Network show. It aired from uh, 2009 to 2010. Uh, of course, as I mentioned last week, the show created by John Enbaum, Rob Thomas, Dan Etheridge, and Paul Rudd. Folks, uh, there are going to be uh, spoilers, all kinds of spoilers. Spoilers, all the spoilers, 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 spoilers. You've been warned. Uh, again, in self-defense, it's a show that is now uh, 11, 12 years old. Um, you know, please watch the show. Uh, you can get it if you subscribe to Stars. You can get it if you subscribe to Hulu. I mean, get it. I mean, watch it, of course. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, I'm sure you could buy it on iTunes. You can buy the physical DVDs for extremely cheap. Uh, last time I checked, $10 for both seasons? I mean, forget about it. That's a steal, okay? Do it. Buy it. It's right there for you. Um, and watch. Um, or rewatch. And uh, again, if you have comments to make, send them to me. I've got the email do not crack up podcast or don't crack up podcast. The Twitter handle, A Commuters Pod. There's no apostrophe in any of that stuff. So uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, we're going to focus specifically on the character Henry Pollard played by the great Adam Scott. As I mentioned last week, the great Adam Scott of uh, such uh, incredible films, some of my favorites as Who Loves the Sun and Krampus. I'm going to keep mentioning those in particular because I'm influencing you or attempting to influence you to see those films if you haven't already. They're great, highly recommended, and uh, I think it shows the best of Adam Scott, not to take away from his other stuff because he's done a ton of things, 
Of course, you know him from Parks and Rec and all kinds of other uh, wonderful performances. But uh, I think the creme de la creme, the best of the best, of course, Party Down, number one. But then also Who Loves the Sun and uh, Krampus, that Christmas classic uh, for all ages over, I don't know, 13. I don't know, whatever the rating says, but uh, really good movie. So, Henry Pollard um, is our, I suppose, de facto main character. Uh, Although it's a true ensemble and, you know, episode by episode, different characters are the main focus. Henry is sort of um, at the center throughout, and that's because Henry is um, our way into the world of Party Down. Uh, We are following his return. Um, I'll mention the hero's journey, certainly the Joseph Campbell uh, uh, thesis uh, from The Hero with a Thousand Faces, that classic work, so influential for writers. Uh, kind of summarizing mythological themes. Uh, And we have a hero's journey here in Henry. Um, Henry is a quote-unquote failed actor when we meet him. Um, What really happened was that uh, he's talented. Uh, It turns out he's the most talented, uh, or so we're led to believe, of the Power Down group. However, he is uh, constantly referred to as the failed actor. Um, And that is because he got a job as a spokesman, or I guess in commercials, an actor uh, for a beer commercial, and is one of those ad campaigns. Of course, this this is fictitious, but we see it so often. And uh, the catchphrase, are we having fun yet? Um, It did, in fact, bring him fame, but it was a curse. Uh, He is identified but he's identified for the catchphrase uh, and it's brought him a lot of shame and embarrassment and humiliation. He's an actor and uh, throughout the series uh, in self-defense, he refers to himself as a good actor. And in fact, we learn that he is, at least in the, the, the world of Party Down, uh, it seems to be an objective fact that he is a talented actor. Uh we get this important lesson, really, don't sell out. Um, not that he intended to sell out, but he got an opportunity that was going to be, uh, I, I would assume, well-paying or you know, steady and, and a chance to, to get out there, um, but instead it was ruined. And so we meet a ruined person, a, a very uh, broken person, Uh, When we meet Henry in Season 1, Episode 1, that classic Willow Canyon Homeowners Association. Uh, Henry, that we meet, uh, he's doing some self-medicating. And we see in Episode 1, he's kind of sneaking shots. Uh, We learn in Episode 2 that he's also taking painkillers and he makes, uh, he's not disguising in any way the fact that he's getting wasted to deal with what has become of his life. Um, We learn that he's from Wisconsin. The mean streets of Wisconsin are referenced. That's his quote. uh, And that is in season two, episode eight. Uh, So I don't think that we learn where he's from until uh, nearly the very end of the series. Um, In season one, episode nine, he's talking about going home. But I don't think that that home is ever mentioned. A year later, a season later, we find out that home is Wisconsin. 
And so he's come to California. He's, he's an actor. He's been acting. Crashes and burns. And now he returns to Party Down. We learned that he was there before. Uh, he has a pre-existing relationship with Ron Donald, played by the great Ken Marino. Um, and so when he meets Ron, Ron is now team leader, whereas Henry and Ron used to party together. Now this is a different, this is the new Ron. Uh, and Henry takes it in stride, or he tries to. He's, he's come back. He is a bartender, and he is just trying to exist uh, we know, and I talked about last week in the overview, you know, Henry is a, a non-confrontational person. Uh, he rarely says what he means. Um, Adam Scott deserves so much credit because he has to do so much um, acting, so much um, conveying so much expression and emotion with very little movements because Henry is so reserved. Henry is so um, broken and, and sort of... Um, almost frozen with uh, sadness, I don't know, uh, you know, an, an emptiness that he talks about. And so through kind of subtle movements, he is conveying a lot. Uh, extremely sarcastic, very witty, uh, self-deprecating, and as I mentioned, self-medicating. Uh, we don't know how high Henry really gets um, because apparently he's always kind of on some level, there, there's intoxication there, at least in the beginning of the first season. Um, and we, as we see in the second season, that's sort of changed. In fact, uh, we see that uh, season two, episode two, when he's sort of getting tested and stressed out by Ron and Casey, the great, you know, Casey Klein, played by America's greatest living actor, Lizzie Kaplan, as I explained at length in last week's episode uh, of this podcast. Um, He's getting tested by them. What does he do? He runs for the pill bottle, which Ron has taken some of them. So he's got all these issues going on. Um, another thing we learn is he apparently has no friends because other than uh, Casey, you know, who he has a um, on and off and on relationship with, uh, we don't really know of any any outside friends or, or relationships. And it's really not clear how much time those two spend together outside. So uh, multiple times in the series, he talks about having no life. So we have this character who's broken, has no life. Yet in spite of all these things, as I mentioned yesterday, what's so endearing is that um, he he is a nice person. And he tries to help others. And he's generally... Um, not somebody who's on the attack, uh, although maybe when they're not there, he would make a sarcastic remark about them. But uh, we get, you know, he part of this hero's journey, it, it, you know, almost a, a inversion of it or a perversion of it. He has his journey before the series starts was that of failure. And what has he brought back? What elixir has he brought back to the community? Well, through his own uh, struggles and failures, as they're called, quote unquote, the message he brings back is, don't quit. Now, you might say, well, he does tell Casey to quit in season one, episode two, but I would say to you, that is joking. And in fact, at the end, he tells her that she shouldn't quit uh, acting or uh, attempting to be a comedian uh, and then kind of takes it back jokingly. So, But beyond that, he's very explicit. Uh, season one, episode 10 with Ron. Season two, episode 10 with Casey. Very, very explicit. You know, don't quit. The problem is 
they question this message, this elixir that the hero has brought, um, because he himself has quit. So, what do we see at the end? The only way that he can really reach Casey in terms of uh, telling her not to quit or convincing her not to quit, and ultimately helping their relationship to grow, is by the return of uh, attempting to act, trying out for uh, a movie or a film called Velour, as we see. So we have we have these cycles, and in, and so he has this cycle leading into it, the cycle of failure. The message he brings back is don't quit. Well, in the show itself, he goes through, you know, the hero journey cycle, and it being uh, that don't quit, but for him personally, go back and try again. And if you, you know, you study all that Joseph Campbell stuff, the helpers, his relationships, you know, with Ron Donald and uh, Casey Klein in particular would be the helpers. Uh, he goes through this progression of being just a bare minimum. I'm just here. I'll go through the motions to becoming a team leader, someone who's in a, a supervision, a supervisory role, a capacity. Uh, and that is not something that brings him happiness either. You know, that takes flight from that and uh, goes back to Casey and ultimately goes back to acting. And so those two relationships um, are really critical in his, in his journey in this show. Uh, his relationship with Ron, as I talked about, is very, very touching because although they may take shots at each other or he might make comments about Ron, ultimately they are friends and uh, he, Henry is there and Henry tries to help Ron. And even when they confront each other, it will only go so far. They will only push each other so far. It seems inconceivable that either would take any kind of serious action against the other in terms of firing or anything like that when Ron is in a team leader position or when Henry was in a team leader position. Um, who knows, though, if the show comes back, maybe that changes. But I don't know if it can because you need all these people on screen, don't you? You need them all there for the show. So it'll be interesting to see um, if the show returns, which it seems like it might, how that's handled. Uh and, and here's an interesting point. Hen Henry, when we meet him, is is so broken and sad that, and so lonely that he is almost a averse to being touched. Constance Carmel, played by Jane Lynch, puts her arm around him in season one, episode two, and you know he's just he's frozen. He recoils. Um, an exception being the two characters I mentioned. Ron hugs him numerous times uh, in the series. And, um, and then, of course, Casey, who he has uh, a romantic relationship with. Um, although it's supposedly not in the first season, we, the viewers, question that, and, and I, the viewer, don't believe that. And then into season two um, and what they go through in the reconciliation. So, what a journey it is. Um, you see this arc of, of being broken, and we learn these different things about Henry throughout uh, Henry has a hard way, a hard way of it in this series. Um, low points and and bad things, and moments of humiliation uh, recur throughout. Starts right away, season one, uh, episode one. You see him fall in the pool, and here's another you know party down plea or pitch to you. Uh, you know this is the kind of show that if you're scrolling in the year 2021, you've got your phone, you're looking down, um, you can do that and still get. Uh, still get the message, still laugh, 
Um, but if you put the phone down and actually watch the screen, you pick up on a lot of uh, small things. Like season one, episode one, if you, you blink and you miss it, Henry taking shots, you know, on the down low or what have you, it sort of makes him getting or losing his balance, falling into the pool, make more sense, which he does. Gets humiliated in front of everybody. And so, uh, but even from the beginning, you know, we, we, we see the connection with, with, uh, with Casey and the progression throughout. Um, I'm going to say this, let's, let's do this. Let's do a category or let's, let's, let's bring up a topic. And here's a topic. Um, best moments. What are some high points for, uh, for old uh, Henry Pollard? Well, I guess it depends how you define best moments. Is it best in terms of um, acting? Um, I think that uh, best in terms of acting, you got to look at Steve Guten's Steve Gutenberg's birthday, season two, episode five, because you have Adam Scott as Henry Pollard, you know, being Henry Pollard, the actor and acting. And so you have this multiple layered performance, um, which is great. I mean, it's incredible by Adam Scott, but then also, Henry himself putting on a performance. And so I guess that would be maybe the best or an argument for the best. Um, another great one is uh, season one, episode eight, the celebrate Ricky Sargulish. Um, Henry has made out with a gangster's girlfriend and now he's being confronted and now he's sort of trying to talk his way out of it. And you see the most animated Henry in the entire series, the most, you know, he's smiling, but of course it's because he's trying to save himself, uh, and the most animated and, uh, the, the, just the most lively. And so that's a great moment. Um, while he's sort of holding, uh, Casey hostage to try and use as protection, uh, saying that they're engaged that that's a great moment. So I think those are two that you would qualify as the best. Um, I, would say in terms of um, highest quality or, or I, again, this isn't comedic um, necessarily, but dramatic moments that also have elements of comedy. They're also funny in a, in a tragic way. The, the speech to uh, Ron, season one, episode 10, Ron um, is broken and uh, he's falling apart and Henry is convincing him not to give up. And that interaction is, is just incredible between both actors, Ken Marino, Adam Scott. The writing, of course, is great. Uh, off the charts. Uh, and so I, those were, I would call, best. Also, the, the, the moments with Casey, season two, episode 10, where it's the same situation. Uh, Casey uh, has is hitting bottom. Dreams are being shattered. And... Uh, Henry's there trying to convince her otherwise. Very different moments, though, because Ron buys into it. Casey uh, is, is skeptical and, in fact, rejects uh, Henry in that moment, rejects the attempt to uh, get her to not quit because it requires something else, which is Henry to not speak but to take action in the form of going back and trying out. So walking through, walking through his progression Broken, uh, season one, episode one. Season one, episode two, becomes more resigned to being broken or he's just the most wasted, right? He's, he's drinking a lot and he's uh, popping pills and he is uh, trying to have conversations with Casey. And so 
he's he seems more resigned to it probably because he's high in, in episode two episode three he is attempting to um create a new henry he's attempting to embrace um this this different life he's having and make the most of it uh that doesn't last long because he gets he gets super high and, and kind of that falls apart but the boon of uh, Casey and, and him uh, hooking up in season three. I'm sorry, season one, episode three. And now he's sort of had a moment of, of being alive again. He had this, there's a great uh, uh, interaction between Henry and Constance Carmel where he's talking about just wish he had, he wish he had somebody um, to spend time with or to have a connection with as a friend at least. And, it happens in the form of Casey. Season one, episode four is almost a standalone version of Henry because this Henry is fairly confident in, in a strange way, is bold with Casey and, um, you know, willing to walk away from her. And so we see this person and this, uh, you know, sort of solidifies their relationship and it being... Uh, according to Casey, just friends that, that hook up. Uh, it's clear that for Henry, it is not that because he has nothing else in his life. And so he has this connection of someone he, he really likes and uh, it means everything to him, it appears. Uh, and we see that in season one, episode five, Sensation uh, Awards. Uh, he explicitly says, so he goes from season one uh, episode four, the investors' dinner, where he's he's kind of got this this weird confidence. He's bold with Casey. Then the very next episode, he straight up tells her, you know, I, I'm my life sucks. I've got nothing going on, and so he just desperately is following her around, with the tragic tragic ending, which is absolutely hilarious, where he is standing alone, uh, <laughs> uh, talking to this uh, adult film star, uh, talking about the box art. They walk away, Casey is gone, and it's just him alone uh, on ecstasy, uh, completely alone in this building. And so it's a tragic moment, but it's absolutely hilarious as well. So that's sort of a, a high moment for me in terms of uh, comedy for, for Henry. And that performance is great, him kind of shuffling back and forth, and the, and the, the dialogue is incredible. Season two, I'm sorry, season one, episode six, now this is our first... Uh, sort of peek into Henry as an actor, someone from his past who is now an actor who is now getting a chance to break through is at this uh, birthday party. And so he's trying to convince him to, to uh, speak with the producer, Leonard Stiltskin and played by JK Simmons. And so to do that, to do that, he has to do the thing he hates most. And that is uh, the catchphrase. He has to perform the catchphrase. He does it. He's egged on by this former friend, Michael, uh, former acting um, classmate, I guess, and uh, Casey. And guess what? It doesn't work out. And so, ever more humiliation. Season one, episode seven, we see the first uh, signs of Henry uh, just being incredibly, incredibly insecure and the desperation he has when it comes to, to Casey. That's the, um, the Brandex uh, corporate retreat, which is one of my personal favorites, as I mentioned last week. I, I love the, the ridiculous um, team building exercises because it's pretty real based on my personal experience. 
Um, and so that, that he gets these mixed messages. The episode starts, Casey leans on him. Then she flirts with Rick Fox and he loses it. We see, we see the first, um, I guess, passive aggressive, uh, Henry, you know, he, as I said, he's non-confrontational. He does directly confront Casey about what's happened. So, um, you know, we, maybe it's more than passive aggressive. Uh, we see, you know, the first signs of, uh, of the, of the true desperation is shown. Um, I mean, not the first signs, but the, the most outward signs of, of his desperate feelings to Casey are shown. Uh, then, when he, you know, is rejected by her and, 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 um, when she is mad at him for, for his jealousy, uh, he tries to, he tries to break free and he does that by, by attempting to get a new job, which turns out to be a telemarketing job. And guess what? He is once again haunted by the catchphrase, another hilarious moment, the ending of that, that episode. Uh, and another devastating moment for Henry. It's a tough, it's a tough few episodes uh, in a row for Henry. The way that the end, episode season one, episode five, the Sensation Awards, uh, episode six, uh, where at the very end Casey talks about how she does like him, but you know would like him more if he was uh, starring in a movie. And then season one, episode seven, uh, the 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 corporate retreat and the ending of. Um, falling on his face attempting to get a new job but it's just the same thing still haunted by the catchphrase all hilarious endings all ter sad and for mr henry pollard um one of our party down heroes and so then we get into season one episode eight and he uh does something bold he you know he, casey's talking about the this is uh this is not an actual relationship these are just friends with benefits and all that so he um makes out with uh, uh the a girlfriend's uh the girlfriend of a gangster now she makes first move and um he he does it but then guess what it being henry it blows up because again that's a gangster finds out um and it does end up sort of with a reconciliation with uh casey but it but you have the the most animated uh, Henry in the entire series, I guess, uh, other than when he's acting. So when he's acting at Steve Gutenberg's birthday, he's more, he, he's animated, more animated, arguably, but in a different way. So this is, this is not acting per se. Uh, it is a, a someone attempting to get out of uh, a beating and or being killed, which makes sense. Uh, and so now we go into the end of season one and we just have to say poor poor henry uh in uh the high school reunion season one episode nine starts off we learn henry is basically given up he's gonna go back home well casey talks him out of it she does he says he would stay if she asks him to stay she doesn't necessarily ask him to stay she just says to him stay and all of a sudden now, he's got an acknowledgement that she has feelings on some level for him as well, or she has feelings for him, even though she you know, really wasn't articulating that uh, in spite of being given maybe opportunities to do so. But it's enough for him. It's enough for him. And so he ends that episode uh, on a high point. Although he is still broken and desperate, um, Casey is there. 
and 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 Casey has shown some sign to him that yes, uh, I want you to 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 be around me. Okay, and so huge breakthrough for him. Well, this is party down, folks. So I you know, I I think you know what happens next. It sets up uh, like as I said. I think some of the best Henry moments, uh, also the saddest, and that being, you know, of course the episode starts off with him uh, talking about the fact that because of her, things are starting to be okay for him. Well, she leaves. She gets a gig uh, elsewhere. Henry, Mr. Non-Confrontational, he can't say what he really thinks. And on the other, on the other hand, he doesn't want to be the person who would stop her from an opportunity that... Uh, could be or could lead to the breakthrough. So you have both of those things going through. And the way he handles it is by either saying nothing or just agreeing with her. Uh, obviously, that's not what he feels. And Adam Scott, all the credit in the world because he's able to convey you know, the, the difference between what's being said and how Henry feels. But this is, this is actually heroic Henry because Ron is broken. Ron is desperate. Ron's dreams are falling apart. And Henry steps up um, and... And it's touching. Some of the most, most touching moments in the entire series take place. And you you have these moments. We've, we All these funny things happen. Then this episode hits. And you say, wow. You know, this, this is more than, this is more than the comedy. I told you folks, this is art. Uh, this is uh, a novel. And so it leads into the this, this season two arc, which is, although he loses Casey... And although Ron, you know, he did save Ron and Ron's going to get a different job managing Supercrackers, what that leads to is opportunity. The opportunity to be with Uta Banked, uh, and uh, who is the manager of a rival um, catering company who is ultra serious about the work, uh, the exact opposite of Henry. And then you have um, him getting a promotion. Now he's no longer just bare minimum bartender now he is team leader which leads into episode uh, season two and season two episode one gets into my next kind of category which is what i think the best or uh, henry episode or my favorite let's put it that way my favorite henry episode uh is season two episode one jackal onassis backstage party uh this is i think just Adam Scott as Henry at his best because there is so much going on here. Now we notice right away this is a different Henry. He's more buttoned up. His you know his hair's tamer, um, and the show being so brilliantly uh, written and 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 crafted starts off by making you know we, right away we see Henry now as management. The show makes the explicit point. Henry says, "I am not happy." Ron's not working there. Casey's gone. That's what we know when the season two, um, episode one starts. So he does have the promotion. He is in a relationship with Uda. Uh, he's still not happy. Okay. Then Casey comes back. And in one of the, I think the best moments of writing in the whole series, Casey walks up and, uh, his line is something along the lines of, you know, thanks for the short notice. And, he says it deadpan serious. And of course it has the double meaning. She's there apparently on short notice, but also she said, I'm, I'm leaving right now. And that was it. And it was over uh, at the end of the first season. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant writing. 
And uh, one of those details, right? You got to listen, pay attention, and, and you might miss it otherwise. Uh, but what's so great about Adam Scott's performance in, in this episode is how, when you really watch him, how, you know, hurt uh, Henry is at Casey, and there she is. He also is, you know, very glad to see her because he still has feelings for her, but he's very angry still um, at, at, you know, what happened and breaking his heart. And so all those mixed emotions, and he's, you know, he's leader now, he's team leader now, he's management, all those mixed emotions are, are so, so well conveyed by Mr. Adam Scott as Henry Pollard. And just the episode itself, I love, I love the idea that uh, the, the rock star wants to be the caterer. And of course, all the, ca- the caterers have these dreams of being, you know, famous themselves. And so nobody's happy, right? Well, uh, that gets us to season two, episode, episode two. Which, this is, you know, let, let's talk for a second about low points. The obvious top low point or number one low point for Henry is the end of season one uh, with what happens with Casey leaving. Uh, another one would be season one, episode one, when we first meet him, when he's first coming back uh, after, you know, his career falling apart. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that right in contention for top low points is right here season two episode two which of course is the precious lights preschool uh, auction and why this is uh right up there is because ron is back now in a subordinate position uh he's not the team leader henry is and then casey's back uh and they give him a very 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 hard time uh they are undermining him you know, he really is trying his best. And what we learn about Henry is he, you know, he takes some pride in, in, in being team leader and he thinks he's a good team leader. And it's something for him to hang his hat on. I have this job. It's better pay. I have health insurance. I'm, I'm in a better living situation. I have somebody, I have some stability in my life. These two come along or they come back, Ron and Casey, and they just, they cut him down. Okay. They, they give him a hard time. They, they throw the past in his face of who he was and, and who he is now. And he just takes it from every angle, including the return of the producer, Leonard Stilskin, leading again to uh, you know, him being told he's, he's never going to make it or, or that Stilskin's going to hold a grudge against him. Uh, and so it is a really, really tough episode uh, for Henry. Uh, very good episode, of course, and very funny, actually. But, uh, but Henry has a an underrated hard time in it we get into the next episode which is the orgy episode and that uh of course the hilarity of it being a very miserable time for everyone in fact this might be the universal the uh sort of unhappy episode there's really nobody who has a good time in this episode that being season two episode three um this is where we first get uh, henry to acknowledge how upset he is uh at what happened with Casey, that he's heartbroken. And we also get to see the Uda-banked relationship is not bringing him uh, much fulfillment. And we see that in, in their conversation. So, brilliant episode, uh, but that gives us a deeper insight. So then we get into the the funeral episode. This is more about Henry um, pushing back against claims that his life is boring and also... Um, team leading i mean this is him trying to uh take control of the and 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 maintain some 
uh, calm at this this funeral where, where the we learn that the um, deceased has uh, some other relatives that maybe the the family members aren't aware of and so um, again though I you know that's really that's a that's a Ron Donald episode to me when I think of the James Ellison funeral that is Ron Donald's episode so um, but we see Henry pushing back against claims that his life is boring and then also um, that he's a good actor and a good team leader. So the breakthrough we have in season two, episode five, Steve Gutenberg's birthday, this is when we learn it's confirmed unequivocally that Henry is in fact a talented actor. And so Casey uh, is back to imploring him to return to acting. Uh, this is also sort of a, a, an underrated um, Henry moment in that he uh, rejects Casey's advances, which seems, you know, inconceivable if you were to watch season one and, and to know his character. This um, this is his first, uh, and and really, you give him credit for his one of his most confrontational moments. He directly says to her, you know, you broke my heart, uh, which is something he normally would not do. But even then, of course, he, being Henry, sort of softens it and and, and backtracks. So that's a really important episode for uh, our understanding of Henry. But then Henry, for once, you know, kind of says what he means. Uh, we get in the next episode the reconciliation, and we have Casey acknowledging that she that um, you know she hurt him, and really that's all he needed because Henry loves Casey. Henry is 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 head over heels, as they say, for Casey. So once once she acknowledges that she hurt him, that's it, and now we're now the, the 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 world is changing. The world of party down is shifting. And you can feel it in this episode. Uh, Henry, I guess, was waiting for that moment, and it's happened. Uh, and so they they make out, and then it leads us to the big seismic change, which takes place in the party down corporate retreat in season two, episode seven, um, in which the decision is made. He's going to leave he's going to break up with Uda and he's going to go back to Casey which she brings up you know because that that's that's him and we, we get we get you know, sort of the deeper insight of his non-confrontational nature he talks about you know tying tie is great uh, he, you know the kickball um, game he's good with being tied and uh, but he does it he seeks he seeks Uda out now this is a critical um, sort of fork in the road because Uda uh, when he first goes to break it with her, offers a a better position, a corporate position. And so here, the path is laid out in front of him. He can stay with Uda and get this better paying corporate position or stay party down in the crew and be with Casey. And of course, he chooses uh, Casey and party down crew, not not some administrative job. Because it's obvious to him, in the message to us, the viewer, you know, go where you fit in, go where you feel comfortable. When you take that other path, uh, there's no happiness. This episode has sort of the the, the Henry changing, uh, uh, career changing moment in that we've heard throughout season two, Henry has told, uh, told, uh, you know, Casey, for example, in season in, in Steve Gutenberg's birthday, that he is a good team leader, and he's told himself that I'm I'm good at team leading. Uda Banked pops that balloon, shatters that that uh, that uh, idea by saying explicitly, "You are not a good team leader." This leads to 
not only um, has he is he leaving her, are they breaking up, and he's going with Casey, but he gives Ron Donald back the title or the responsibilities of team leader. He wants to go back to um, it's it's just a job, and he gets to spend time with Casey. So that leads us into season two, episode eight. And this is Joel Munt's big deal party. This is Henry at his best, I suppose, because this is one of the few episodes where in the there's really no moments of humiliation for Henry. Um, he's sort of a uh, he's not at the forefront of this uh, episode. It's really uh, it's really um, Ryan Hansen's uh, character, Mr. Kyle Bradway, and then Martin uh, Starr. As Roman De Beers, those two are sort of at the forefront um, of that episode. It's a great episode. Uh, of course, I'm gonna say all the episodes are great because they are. But uh, Henry and and Casey are back in that episode, uh, and uh, who he is sort of gets challenged by Casey in this kind of non-confrontational na- nature. And she goes so far as to say that you know the the roles are reversed. She calls herself the man in the relationship, and and Henry the lady, and so. You've got this issue with missing keys. It ends up being resolved, not in the way that uh, you might think. He doesn't pick any locks. Spoiler. Of course, everything's a spoiler. I'm telling you the whole series of Henry, so sorry about that. Uh, but you, this is the episode. This is Henry. Nothing really bad happens to him. And he's with Casey. And so this is Henry at his best. Remember that episode of The Leftovers? Uh, the Garvey's at their best in season one, which one of the best episodes of the whole series. Uh, yes, this is Henry Pollard at his best, um, but not really, you know, not to as, as ironically as, uh, the leftovers title, or maybe it is if you think about it, because he doesn't actually pick the lock. So now we get into the final two episodes and Henry and Casey are back together. And yep, you guessed it. Henry is back to his insecure ways. Um, what's interesting about the draft party which is the penultimate episode of the series thus far. Uh, we'll see. You know, hopefully they have more episodes. But what's interesting about this is you have this insight into how much time do they do Henry and Casey actually spend together outside of it, outside of the party down. It's really not clear uh, that they spend much time at all. We 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 heard we hear about them talking on the phone and things like that. You know, but we're not sure. So we don't know how how much that happens. But this is. This is a great episode, not only because you see how deep the, the Henry and Casey relationship is, but it's a reinforcement of the Ron and Henry relationship because Ron has a, a problem. He's concerned about uh, his, his well-being, uh, you might say. And who does he go to? Uh, that's right. He goes to Henry. Henry, of course, questions, why would you bring this to me? But we, the viewer, know why, because they are like brothers. Uh, and in the end... When uh, Henry, who although he is 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 not a team leader, he still is. Uh, he still has the pay and and really the official title. Um, when he's confronted by an act that Ron has committed, which would get uh, most people fired, Henry understands. You know, he understands Ron and that Ron did not mean anything bad by it. Although it does, I don't know, that excuses it. So we get the deepening. Um, of, of their relationship and, and, and just another example of how, how close they are, Ron and, and Henry and that brother relationship, which leads us to the last episode.
Constance Carmel's wedding. Okay, what happens here? Well, the hero's cycle comes to uh, fruition or the end of the second cycle. This show started with the end of the first cycle. Well, now the second cycle ends because Henry, at the end of it, returns to acting. The series ends with that incredible um, uh, series of shots. Uh, the the close-in on uh, Casey's face, who goes from sort of broken to a sign of hope. And why is that? Because of the very last image we have, which is Henry goes back uh, and he's at an audition. And so we learn this sort of new, this sort of new paradigm and, and the path that works for Henry, which is Casey, absolutely, but trying to, to act, but only going for the roles that mean something to him. This velour script, which is shown to him by Kyle Bradway, it, it, it speaks to him. It means to, something to him. It's not, you know, just the, the beer commercial humiliation. It means something to him, and he goes for it. He cannot verbally convince Casey to not quit. The words don't mean anything to her because he himself has quit. So what does he do? He has to take action. And he does that. And the elixir of you can't just say you're not going to quit. You have to actually not quit. And so the hero cycle, he's returned, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to stop saying that now. Sorry about that. But look it up. Look it up. Get the hero with the thousand faces. And you can even take the shortcut. There's a diagram at some point. And look at it, and the, the, the flight, the return, the helpers, all that. It's all there, and you can make the argument that Henry goes through that. So, we thank you to the show. We thank you to the show creators. We thank you to Adam Scott for your great performances. We thank you to the writers, um, John Embaum, and, uh, who it seems to be credited with the teleplays on the majority of the episodes. Thank you for all of your incredible work. And the message and the lessons we learn, there's no satisfaction in that other path. The satisfaction comes in your path, whether it, whether or not it's glamorous, whether or not it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not as um, shiny uh, or stable, but your path is the only place where you can find that contentment. That's what Henry teaches us. And we thank you for that, Henry. And there's no joy in, in refusal, right? The stagnation of, I'm just not going to do anything. There's no contentment there. That's what Henry has taught us. So we thank you for your many, uh, many lessons, Mr. Henry Pollard. You know, I, I think of, um, if you go to YouTube, if you were to do such a thing, uh, there's these videos that people make. They take pop songs and they, you know, put... Uh, movies scenes to them and that henry could be i think unlovable by the smiths right so someone out there in youtube land you could make a a great uh smith video play the song and then you've got uh, clips of henry throughout because that really is the the character right he does not have uh too awful much going on in his life um but he is but he is uh, open in his way uh he's a caring person in his way and uh He's a good friend, and so, although he does not have many of them, uh, 
He also can take a punch. And I want to make that point. I'm going to kind of wrap up with that point. Uh, there's a toughness to Henry. He's not physically tough, as we know. He can't catch a, a kickball, and we see that at the company retreat. But Henry takes a, a lot of um, emotional um, bumps, bruises, and straight-up knockouts, and he's still standing. And I and that's one of the great takeaways of the show is he, he, takes, his, he takes his lumps, he takes his many humiliations, but he's still standing. And the things he talks about, he never talks about giving up on life. Um, and the show could do that, but it doesn't. And that's what I think is so great about it. Um, uh, really serious issues are confronted uh, with humor and also without humor. Uh, and, and so, yeah, Henry's tough. So thanks, everyone, for listening. That's the end of the second installment of the party down discussion let me know your thoughts on henry what's your favorite moment i think i've touched on all those kinds of things i think i've touched on uh the low points the high points the lessons all in between um if i miss something i'm sorry and if i uh ruin the show for you i i didn't mean to do that please please watch the show even if you've heard every single word i've said and you listen to it 27 times in a row first i'm concerned about you if you do that uh, second, thanks for doing that. But third, you still will get something out of the show, even if you do that. Even if you put this on repeat 1,000 times, you will still get something from it. Watch the show, watch the show, watch the show. Buy it, huh? Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. I'm going to catch you next week, all right? Farewell. Don't crack up. Don't crack up. Don't crack up. Don't crack up.